Good morning, everybody. Good to see you all back, especially those who've been away over the summer. Great to see you back with us. If you're a visitor as well, we've got some visitors here. Great to have you with us this morning. If you're here for the first time, it's great to have you. As Paul mentioned earlier, on your chair or near your seat, there should be a bulletin. And on the other side of the bulletin is the outline for what we're looking at today from the passage in the Bible. So that's there for you. There's things for you to fill in. There's pens in the seats in front. If you find that helpful, it's there. If not, that's fine. No problem at all. I came across these uh, bumper stickers recently. first one was this one, I'm spending my kid's inheritance. And my, my father-in-law there laughed before anybody else. It, it certainly seems to be true with my parents. My mum recently got uh, approached by Amazon, an official approach from Amazon, to ask her if she would like a business account because she orders so much stuff. They actually wanted to know if she wanted a business account. It's my inheritance is just disappearing into Amazon's coffers, I think. And here's another one for you. This is a warning, father-in-law. Be nice to your kids. They get to choose your nursing home. Just throw that out there. Just keep that out there just to a particularly helpful one to remind parents about. You know, when you're young, you think that you're going to live forever, don't you? When you're a teenager or in your 20s, you think you're indestructible, that you're going to live forever, you're going to change the world, all of that kind of thing. And it seems impossible to think that your parents won't always be around, they're just always there, you're used to them being there, and you just think that your parents are always going to be there. The last time we drove away from my parents' house earlier this year, I I watched my dad in the car uh, mirror waving to us, and, and the thought struck me, this might be the last time... I ever see my dad. My, my dad's 76. Now, I did see him again at my niece's wedding earlier in the year. But uh, my dad's 76, my mom is 74, and that reality of people getting older suddenly becomes a little bit more real. You think, actually, they are at an age, all my grandparents had died by the time they were at that age. And whilst I hope they will still live for a long time yet, the reality is that their health could significantly deteriorate at any point. And sadly, one of them could die and leave the other one behind. uh, behind. My mum might die and leave my dad behind, or my dad might die and leave my mum behind. And that's that's, that's reality, isn't it? That's life. That's what happens. And these are the kind of things that you don't really want to have to think about. But as you get older, they become realities that our parents won't always be around. You know, the age profile of the population in the UK has shifted hugely. Uh, and, and the percentage of, of older or elderly people is increasing. And, and that creates a huge challenge for our society, for our culture, as to how we care for the elderly. There just isn't the infrastructure and the systems in place to provide nursing care for the, 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 the increasing number of people who need that um, real uh, specialized care. And it's a real challenge, and nobody wants to pay for it. That's the, the bottom line, I guess. Of course, it's not just the elderly who are vulnerable, is it, in our society? It's not just those who are elderly. It's the unborn baby. The unborn baby, so vulnerable in our culture. It's the disabled. It's the, it's the young child. It's the single parent. It's the refugee. All sorts of people who are vulnerable in our society, despite how progressive we think our society is. So many people so vulnerable in the world that we live in. And as followers of Jesus, how we treat the vulnerable and how we treat the needy is a real mark of whether we're really genuinely, authentically following Jesus. And how we treat the the vulnerable and the needy should be really important to us. It should be part and parcel of what it means to follow Jesus. Now here at Regent, we're working our way through a book in the Bible called uh, 1 Timothy. It was a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy. 
Paul was an apostle. That means he was one of the main church leaders in the first century. Special authority, special kind of position and role. And he had appointed Timothy, who he had led to faith in Jesus when Timothy was a younger guy. Uh, and, he'd, and he'd appointed Timothy to oversee and be responsible for the church or a, or a group of churches in Ephesus. Ephesus was a city in what is now modern-day Turkey. And you can go and visit the ruins there. And 1 Timothy is probably the book in the Bible that tells us most about how a local church should function. It tells us about elders and deacons and leaders and and how church gatherings should function. There's loads of stuff in there about how a church should be led and function. And we've reached 1 Timothy 5 uh, verses 3 to 16, which is what we're going to look at this morning, which is all about how a local church should look after those who are widows in their church. So we're going to read 1 Timothy 5, 3 to 16. If you've got a Bible with you and you want to, to read and, and, and follow it as I read, that's fine. If you just want to listen, that's fine. So it's 1 Timothy chapter 5, and we're going to read from verse 3 right down to uh, verse, uh, and including verse 16. So Paul is writing these instructions to Timothy about how to look after, how to lead, how to run the church that he's got under his care. And of course, these are for us to to learn from too and apply to our church today, 2,000 years later. So he says this, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. Give the people these instructions too so that no one may be open to blame. If anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on on themselves because they've broken their first pledge. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. Some have, in fact, already turned away to follow Satan. If any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. So Paul wrote this letter to Timothy in about 60 AD. And at that time, when somebody became a Christian, it often meant they'd be completely cut off from their family. If they were the only Christian in their family, they would often be cut off. And of course, that still happens today in many, many parts of the world. If you become a Christian, uh, and particularly if the country you live in, uh, there's a dominant other religion, that will often mean being completely ostracized and completely cut off. And if you're a vulnerable widow, that can often mean zero finance, zero food. It's a real challenge, and and it even happens in the UK today. Sadly, people don't always like it when a member of their family trusts in Jesus because their lives change, they behave differently, they have different values, different standards, and and suddenly the family don't always appreciate the fact that that member has changed. And sometimes it can lead to that family member being cut off, ostracized, and life can become really difficult for them. And that's why it's so important that their church family then takes care of them. 
When somebody becomes a Christian and they're the only Christian in their family, it's so important that their, their, new, that their new family, their spiritual family, really uh, makes it count and really cares for them when they're in times of need. And it's true, therefore, particularly for the elderly uh, and for children and for refugees in our current situation in this country. And a particular group that were really vulnerable at the time that Paul was writing to Timothy were widows, ladies whose husbands had died. And in general at that time, almost all women would have been married and would have had children. It had been very, very rare for a lady to have been unmarried. That was just the cultural situation that Paul was writing into. And so if and when the husband died, they would usually find themselves with zero financial support. Some women would be independently, financially uh, sort of independent, but most would not. The vast majority would be totally reliant on their husbands. And so if their husband died, they would suddenly find themselves without any money. There was no welfare state then. So we look at everything, don't we, in, in, in our culture today. We've got the, the whole welfare state or pensions and all these kind of things. That didn't exist. And in fact, it doesn't exist for the majority of the world's population today. There was no welfare state, no pensions, no benefits. So if your husband died, and especially if you were elderly, you could literally starve to death. That was the reality. So this was a group of people that were very, very vulnerable at that time. And Paul felt the need to write to Timothy with some very specific instructions for how, to, uh, for how a local church should address these problems. Now, for us today, this might not be so much of an issue. We have a welfare state. Uh, women are generally more independent and less reliant on husbands. Lots of ladies stay single, don't get married, have their own careers and finances. But there will still be sometimes some elderly widows in church families who are in need of help. And of course, the same principles that Paul outlines uh, for us can also be applied to other people who in our culture and in our situation might find themselves in need of help. So whilst culturally in, in our particular situation, the need of elderly widows who perhaps have no money is less of a problem today than it would have been when Paul was writing, there are other groups of people who do find themselves in real need. And for us today, it might not just be widows, it might be some widows, but it might also be single parents. It might be refugees. And we can and we should look to how we can apply these principles that Paul's teaching to these kind of situations as well so that nobody in our church family is starving. Nobody in our church family should be in need so that we care for one another and look out for each other. So whilst this is specifically focused on widows, as we look through the passage, we should also be keeping in mind the single parent, the refugee, other vulnerable people who in our day and our culture might slip through the gaps and might need help and might need real, genuine financial help and other kinds of help too. So Paul begins by saying this, give proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. And he's making two points here. Firstly, that we need to be actively looking out for those in our church who have needs. We need to be actively on the lookout. In this case, Paul's talking about widows, but for us it might be other people in our church. And the main people responsible for that happening then, as it is today, are the elders and the deacons of a church. That's, that, that's, that, that's a, a key role that they have. But it's not just their responsibility. It is everybody's responsibility. If you're part of this church family, everybody else is part of your church family. And I'm your responsibility, you're my responsibility, the person next to you, the person in the row in front of you. We are a family. And so we, each one of us, have a responsibility to look out for the needs of others. And that means that as a church family, we all need to get to know each other better so that we know what people's needs are. If we never talk to each other, we're never going to know what our needs are. And some people are private, and that's fine. But unless we 
invest intentionally in spending time together in things like home groups, in having people around in, in our homes and so on, and build, initi- and, and build relationships with each other and open up our homes to each other, then we're never going to get to know each other and really find out those people who have real, genuine needs. And, and, and everybody has a responsibility here. Those who are older need to take the initiative and build relationships and open their homes to those who are younger. And those who are younger need to take the initiative and spend time with those who are older and both open their homes to them and visit them as well. Some of them may need visiting in home. So it's so important that we don't just spend time with the people that are our own age. It's really tempting to do, to come to church on a Sunday and just kind of speak to the people that we, that we normally speak to, the people that we get on really well with, the people who are our age group, the people who've got something, that we've got something in common with. It's really important that we don't just do that. It's so important that we get to know one another as much as we can so that we can find out who has real needs. There are a whole load of commands. There's 52 one another commands in the New Testament. Commands that God gives us to love one another, care for each other, forgive one another, so on and so forth. 52. And if we don't invest in relationships with each other across the spectrum, not just those in our own age group, we cannot fulfill those commands. If we're going to take those commands seriously, we need to invest in relationships with one another. Not just those we like, not just those our own age. So write that on your outline. I need to build relationships with others in my church so that I know who is in need. This is something that we need to be intentional about. It doesn't happen unless we get intentional about it. I want you just to just, just take a moment right now and, and, and just uh, pause and just look around this room. Look behind you, look over here, look over there. And, and, and just look at the people in the room and say, who do I not know? Now, there are some visitors here today, and that's fine. You're not going to know them. But who do I not know? Look around you and say, well, who has never been in my house? Who, has, who have I never had in my home? Just look around you. Not, don't look at me. Everyone's looking at me. Look around you. Look at this group of people, your church family. Look at them. Who have I never had in my home? Whose home have I never been to? Who have I never exchanged a text with? Who have I never spoken to? Who have I never spent time with? Whoever they are, this week your task is to to do that. To say, right, I'm going to intentionally, it's not intentional that I've not had that person around in my home, but I'm going to intentionally, right, this week I'm going to make that happen. I'm going to ask that family around to my home for a meal. I'm going to meet up for a coffee with that person. Because the temptation is we're busy and on Sundays we come in and we just speak to the same people. That's natural, that's normal. We need to be intentional and we need to make sure that we build relationships so that we can care for those who are in need. So that the people who come in week in, week out, who nobody ever else speaks to, just look around you and say, who have I never had a conversation with? Who have I never had in my home? Today is an opportunity to put that right and to reach out and to invest in those relationships. So what does it look like to give proper recognition then to those widows who are really in need? Well, Paul talks about recognizing who they are. We we find that out by spending time with people, and then providing for their needs. And that's primarily here about financial support. An elderly widow at that time would, uh, would would have perhaps no family support, and they would therefore have no means of living. If, they, if their husband died and they had no family around them, they could literally starve. There was no welfare state, there were no pensions, and so it was the job of the church family to provide for those people who had real needs so that they could eat, 
so that they could pay their rent, perhaps, and other financial needs that they would have. They would, as a church, take a collection, and we could pick this up by reading other parts of the Bible. They would take a collection on a regular basis, perhaps on a weekly basis. Then the the church elders and the deacons would ensure that that money was given to those who were in real, real need. And in many countries around the world today, that is still the situation. The local church is and should be the means by which elderly widows and other people who have financial needs in that church family are provided for. When nobody else is going to help them, when there is no welfare state, when there are no pensions and so on, the local church should be the means by which those people in that church family are helped. The reality in the UK today is that that's probably not so much of an issue. The welfare state, pensions and so on generally means that elderly widows are not starving to death and are not starving to death in our church, but they may have other needs, other practical needs. There may be other ways in which they need practical help, especially if they have no family locally. And that's something that we should be alert to and, and looking, how can I help them? And whilst Paul's focus is on widows in this passage, the same principle is true for other people in need. I, I guess today that, that that would include single parents, it would include refugees, people who have real practical needs, and, and sometimes literally real financial needs, people who have no food in the cupboard, people who literally have nothing to eat this week. That really is a a reality in our country. So whether it's widows, whether it's single parents, whether it's refugees, or, or any other kind of situation, as a local church, we need to be on the lookout for those who have practical needs in our local church family. And if we can help beyond that local church family as well, that's fantastic. And of course, we have a cap debt center here. We have someone, uh, Linda, who we employ two days a week, who's reaching out into the community. And as people who, have, who get into debt, get in contact with cap, Linda goes and visits them. So we're not just looking after ourselves. We are trying to reach out and help those people in our local community as well. But it does start in the local church family. There's no point in reaching out if, we're not, if there's people within our church family who have real essential needs. But church finances and church resources are always going to be limited. So whatever help we're able to give, it needs to be targeted at those who really need that help. We need to make sure that those who receive that help are those who really need that help and have no other help. So if widows or others in need have Christian family, then it's their responsibility to provide for those widows, for those people in need, not the not responsibility of the local church. Look at verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, these should learn, first of all, to put their religion into practice by caring for their own family and so repaying their parents and grandparents, for this is pleasing to God. So if a widow has children or grandchildren who are also Christians, then it's their responsibility to take care of them, provide for them, not the rest of the church primarily. As a follower of Jesus, my parents and my parents-in-law, who happen to be here this morning, they are my responsibility. Claire and I are married, so we are in God's eyes one flesh, and that means, therefore, that my parents are Claire's parents. Claire's parents are my parents. They are not primarily the responsibility of their local churches. And I'm sure they will receive support and help from their local churches, but they are primarily our responsibility. And part of what it looks like and means for Claire and I to put our faith in Jesus into practice is to care for our parents, whether it's on Claire's side or my side. And according to Paul, this is pleasing to God. It's right at the core of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Of course, the opposite is also true. When we fail to care for, when we fail to provide for our own family, then our behavior, therefore, is displeasing to God. Paul closes the passage by saying the same thing in verse 16 from the other end. He says this, If if any woman who is a believer has widows in her family, she should help them and not let the church be burdened with them so that the church can help those widows who are really in need. 
So on the one hand, it's about ensuring that the limited resources that any church has are put to the best use they can be. And on the other hand, it's about children taking responsibilities for their parents and taking those, responsi- those responsibilities seriously. So the care of my immediate family is my responsibility. It is not my parents' church's responsibility. It's not Claire's parents' church responsibility. It is my responsibility. I can't unload that onto somebody else or onto their church or even onto the state. It's my responsibility. And in verse 8, Paul broadens this out, not just about being responsible for widows in our family, but to anybody in our family who's in need. That might be perhaps somebody who's lost their job or somebody who's got some other kind of financial need in in our wider family. He says this, anyone who does not provide for his relatives and especially for his immediate family has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. And his point is this, look, most non-Christians will supply the needs of their immediate family. So if a Christian believer fails to do that, he's worse than an unbeliever. Unbelievers do it, so definitely, for sure, Christians should be doing it. And by his very actions, if a, if a Christian fails to do this, he's actually denying his Christian faith. If I put my faith in the God of the Bible, who the Bible makes a real point of saying that uh, the God of the Bible is the one who, who has a, gives real special attention and focus to widows and orphans and those who are vulnerable. And if I put my faith in that God, then part of what it looks like for me to live that faith out is for me too to care about those who are vulnerable in my society, the unborn, the elderly, the disabled, the, the refugee, whoever that might be. And I need to have the same standards as Jesus has. So followers of Jesus, write this down, followers of Jesus care for their family. It's part of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus. If I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm going to do what I can within my resources to care for my family. Somebody professes to be a follower of Jesus but fails to care for their relatives, then we've got to question whether they are really a follower of Jesus, according to Paul. Because part of being a Christian is about having a completely transformed life. As we trust in Jesus, as we surrender our lives to him, And as we allow him to make us into brand new people by the power of his spirit coming to live within us, as we receive forgiveness and eternal life, the Bible talks about that being born again. And as we're born again, as we become new people, part of what it looks like to have that transformed life, part of what that looks like is to care for those in need and especially for those in need in our family. So how do we decide then who qualifies for help in a local church? Well, Paul gives us some guidelines. Look at verses 5 to 6. The widow who is really in need and left all alone puts her hope in God and continues night and day to pray and to ask God for help. But the widow who lives for pleasure is dead even while she lives. So what's he saying? Well, the local church family should help the widow who is alone and has no family and who is therefore really in need. It's just her and God. All she can do is put her hope in God and pray to him to help her. That's the only option she has. That's the kind of widow that the local church should give their, financial, their limited financial support. Let's focus it on those who are really in need. Because the primary way that God will answer that prayer is through the sacrificial giving of that local church family. That's how God is going to answer that prayer primarily. But he says, don't give financial support to the widow who lives for pleasure. Don't give financial support to the widow who has plenty of money and yet is just living for herself. She's living for herself. She's self-indulgent instead of sharing what she has with other less well-off widows in that local church. It's as if the faith that she claims to have is, is actually dead, even though she's physically alive. Because if she really had faith in God, then she'll be sharing what she had with other widows who were in real need. And then Paul elaborates on the qualifications for helping widows. Look at verses 9 to 10. 
No widow may be put on the list of widows unless she's over 60, has been faithful to her husband, and is well known for her good deeds, such as bringing up children, showing hospitality, washing the feet of the saints, helping those in trouble, and devoting herself to all kinds of good deeds. Paul is assuming that in his culture, in his time, in his day, those under 60 are more likely to be able to provide for themselves or able to remarry in that culture, which would be their perhaps key way of being financially provided for. They would be able to remarry and find a new husband to provide for them. And then he lists a number of character traits that need to be true of the widow before she can qualify for help from her church family. She has to have been faithful to her late husband. She has to be well known for being a godly woman. And one of the ways that that godliness will be demonstrated will have been in the way that she's brought up her children, if God has given her children. She'll have been a woman who has been hospitable, somebody who has served others in her church family. That's what he means when he talks about washing the feet of the saints. The word or the title saint in the Bible is not reserved for a kind of elect special group of people who are uh, amazingly good people. Every single person who is a follower of Jesus, according to the Bible, is a saint. A saint literally means a holy one. And when we trust in Jesus, uh, God forgives our sins because Jesus took the punishment for all of our wrongdoing. When we put our trust in Jesus, God takes our sins off us and he gives us the righteousness, the perfection, the holiness of Jesus. And so God looks at me and even though I still mess up and, and, and let God down, God now sees me as being holy. He calls me a saint. And so every single Christian is a saint. If you love Jesus this morning, you are a saint. That's what, he's, that's what Paul's talking about, washing the feet of the saints. And of course, washing feet in that culture, uh, people would wear sandals and they would get hot and dusty. This is Turkey. This is first century Turkey. And so if you had visitors into your home, the first thing you would do, you'd get your slave or your servant to wash the feet of your visitor. And Paul says, the way in which we model our Christianity is by serving others. Jesus taught us that, that we should wash the feet of others. Now, we don't physically perhaps need to do that today, thank goodness. Uh, you, uh, if, if you come to my house, if you really want me to wash your feet, I will. But I don't think that's what, I don't think that's what the Bible means. What it's talking about here is serving each other in whatever cultural way that that means. And so this is a lady who has served her church family throughout her Christian life. Deciding who gets financial help and other kinds of support is a difficult decision for, for anybody and, and a difficult decision for the elders and the deacons of a, of a local church to make. And, and that's why Paul gives these guidelines. And some of them are culturally uh, set. We've got to understand that. But, but they, they go beyond culture. And we can learn from them and apply them to our situations today. And the point is this. Nobody has an automatic right to receive financial assistance from their church family. Every church will have limited funds and limited resources. So it's really important that it should be reserved for those who throughout their own life have sacrificially served others in a Christ-like way in that church family. And then he says in verse 11, As for younger widows, do not put them on such a list, for when their sensual desires overcome their dedication to Christ, they want to marry. Thus they bring judgment on themselves because they have broken their first pledge. What was happening was that after their husbands had died, some younger widows, not all of them, but, but some younger widows were making big and bold promises and vows to trust in God and to live as single women and only to trust in God, by which they meant effectively relying on the local church to support them. And it seems that they were expecting their local church family to be the means by which, as they prayed to God, as they vowed to God to, just to serve him, that it was their church that were going to provide for them. But then after a while, as they began to get fed up with living on what would be meager resources, they decided they'd rather get married again and be better off. They'd made this big vow to trust in God, 
But then their material desires and their understandable emotional and sexual desires have got the better of them. And so they've broken that vow, that first pledge to just trust in God uh, to meet all their needs. And Paul isn't criticizing them for wanting to get married. He then encourages them to get married. We're going to see that in a minute. What he was warning against was making vows that they couldn't keep. These were people who were making vows that they weren't able to keep. And actually, really, what they were trying to do was live off the church instead of looking after themselves. What he actually wants to do is to ensure that their financial, their emotional, their sexual needs are provided for by getting married rather than staying as widows. And it seems that what had happened at the church in Ephesus that Timothy was overseeing was that there'd been a group of younger women who'd found themselves widowed. They'd made these big vows to stay single, to trust only in God, to provide for all their needs, but then they'd become dissatisfied with their situation. And instead of continuing to serve Jesus, they were becoming a disruptive influence at the church in Ephesus. Look at what Paul says they were doing in verse 13. Besides, they get into the habit of being idle and going about from house to house. And not only do they become idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying things they ought not to. And it seems that before Paul had written this letter to Timothy with these guidelines, there were some younger widows who were receiving financial help from the church. But then because they had time on their hands, because they, had, they didn't need to work, they didn't have any husbands, they had begun to take their eyes off God, they'd begun to behave badly, they were going from house to house, they were engaging in gossip, telling lies about people, slandering. Some of them had even turned completely away from God. And Paul says in verse 15, some have in fact already turned away to follow Satan. And one of the ways they were doing that was through gossip and slander. And and gossip and slander are incredibly serious sins in the Bible. All sin is serious, but the Bible really reserves the strongest condemnation for gossip and slander. So as far as Paul is concerned, when a person is engaging in gossip and slander, then they're no longer really following Jesus. Instead, they're in effect following Satan. They're not living the way that Jesus wants them to live. So what was Paul's solution to this situation? Well, look at verse 14. So I counsel younger widows to marry, to have children, to manage their homes, and to give the enemy no opportunity for slander. The enemy here is a reference to Satan. Now remember that the culture in Ephesus in the first century was significantly different to here in the the UK today in the 21st century. If a woman was widowed, in the vast majority of cases, her only hope for survival was to be married again. There were no other options to her. Paul's not approving of that. He's just speaking into the the reality of that situation. But if she was a Christian and was over 60 at an age when she was much less uh, likely to be able to get married again, and if she had no Christian family members to support her, then the local church had to take responsibility for her and provide that financial assistance. But if she was younger then she could get married again and be provided for. Paul, he's not being sexist, he's not being chauvinist, he's actually showing massive care for widows. He's trying to ensure that the widows in the local church are cared for within the constraints of the culture of the day and within the constraints of the the limited financial funds that the church would have. And he's also saying that being married and having children is a great way to serve God. Singleness is a great thing. Jesus commends singleness, the Bible commends singleness, and God will call some people to stay single. And that's fantastic. And if God has called you to that, God has called you to to remain single, that is fantastic. And you can do great things for God. But equally, marriage is also something God calls many people to. And having children is a great way of being able to serve God. We may not see it that way. Those of you who have just had six weeks with your kids off from school may not be seeing it that way. Those, who, those of you going back to school may, may not see it as, uh, uh, that way if you're teaching children. But actually, children are a phenomenal gift and blessing from God. 
Having and raising children is such an important and such an honored thing to do. Being a wife and a mother is looked down upon today. You know, the, the kind of stay-at-home mum, oh, it's so kind of, uh, that's just like second rate. But it shouldn't be that way. Children are an amazing gift and blessing from the Lord. And they should become a mother's main ministry. Not her only task in life, but they should become a mother's main ministry. Children are not an 18-year-old, uh, an 18-year irritation that prevents the mother from, from fulfilling all her selfish desires and dreams. That's not how children are meant to be seen. Raising children, teaching children about God is one of the greatest responsibilities that anybody can have, especially a mum. I hate it when I hear ladies say, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a stay-at-home mum. As if somehow that's some kind of second-rate, uh, less important role. You know, I, I, I just stay at home with my kids. That is a phenomenal thing to do. That is an amazing thing to do. If God's called you to go and be whatever, that's fine too. But to, get, to have children, to raise them, to put your time and effort and your, to see them as your ministry is a phenomenal thing. You are raising wonderful gifts from God, and you will be the single greatest influence in the life of your children. What an honor. What a privilege. What a responsibility. We hand our children over, don't we, to the state to educate them, and we trust the educators. But they're our responsibility. They are a phenomenal gift from God. And mothers particularly have that amazing bond with their children, having brought them into life. It's not a second-rate thing. This is a phenomenal ministry, a phenomenal opportunity. Not something that we should look down upon, not something that we just try and get through until we can get back on doing what I want to do. This is an amazing ministry, and we should celebrate it. And if God calls you to do other things, that's fine. But if God has called you and has blessed you with children, celebrate those children, if possible. But enjoy the, the, the back-to-school as well. But what an honor, what a privilege, what a responsibility to have children. So let's draw all this together this morning. We all need to be those who are on the lookout for those in our church family who have practical needs. Whether they are widows, whether they are refugees, whether they are single parents, whether they are those who perhaps have lost their jobs and who have real practical needs. And we need to be intentional about that and, and, and go looking and build relationships so that we can find out who has real needs. But our first responsibility is to look after and care for our own physical family members. It starts at home, be they Christian or non-Christian, rather than leaving that to the rest of the church. Within our cultural setting, it's probably unlikely that widows today in our church will need financial help. But other people might, single parents, refugees, for example. And if people have no other source of financial support, then we should do what we can to try and help them, whether that's officially from church funds and resources or whether that's just on a one-on-one -on -one behind the scenes. And I know that there's loads of, folk, loads of folks in this church who do that, who just get on quietly behind the scenes and help others out financially or with time or with caring or with uh, doing practical things. And it's fantastic to see the family at work However, every church has a limited amount of resources and amount of finance, so we've got to apply some biblical principles and guidelines as to who receives assistance. And, and we can draw on these guidelines that Paul gives regarding widows in the first century to, to inform our decisions. And, and we should do that, and we do do that here as elders and deacons as we try and work out how can we help those who are in real need. So let's be people who mirror the God that we profess to follow and worship. We profess to follow and worship, don't we, a God who, who loves the vulnerable, 
a God who loves the, the widow, the orphan, the stranger in the midst. And we too need to be those same kind of people who love those who are vulnerable, those who are in need. And, you know, maybe this morning you are that person who is in real need, but it's difficult, isn't it, to sometimes express or, or to share the fact that we've got financial needs. We're not great at doing that in our culture, the British stiff upper lip, or just our own pride or embarrassment. But if that is you, then can I encourage you, please don't be in need on your own in this church. If you've got real, might not just be financial, might be other kinds of needs, then share that with a friend. Share that with your home group leaders. Come and talk to Paul or Keith or myself or, or our wives, Lucy, Victoria, Claire. Share that so that we can try and help. We want to be a family that helps one another and supports one another. God has called us to all different kinds of things, and that's fantastic. But let's support one another in those different ways. Let's support mums who are staying at home and raising their kids. Let's support uh, ladies who are out there at work teaching and doing other things. Let's support one another and be that family in whatever those needs are that we can care for and love one another. Let's just pause and reflect this morning upon what we've been saying. Um, Maybe God has been speaking to you and challenging you about something this morning. And if that's the case, if, if you've just felt God speaking to you this morning, or, or maybe just something uncomfortable that you've not particularly enjoyed listening to, I don't know, then it's just an opportunity now. Let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. It's just good sometimes just to reflect, take a few moments to pause and think, what is God saying to you? Maybe this morning you've never trusted in Jesus. You've never surrendered your life to him. You've never given your life to him. He wants to... He wants to be your saviour. He wants to be your Lord. And that's a step you can take this morning right now. But maybe this morning you just need to, we all perhaps need just to be on the lookout more for others. Those that have never been in our home before. Those we've never really had a conversation with. How can we help one another? Maybe the Lord's been putting on your heart a person in this church or in another church or in your street or a family member that you just sense God is speaking to you about that you need to reach out and, 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 and help them in their need, whatever that might be. So let's just allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us now as we just take a little few moments just to pause and reflect. Father, we thank you that you are the God who loves the vulnerable and cares for the needy. We see that most of all in the Lord Jesus coming because we are all needy and vulnerable. We all need your love. We all need your forgiveness. We all need our sins dealt with. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us there on the cross. That every single one of us can have our sins forgiven, can have eternal life, can have that wonderful relationship with you. But Lord, we know too that you care for the needy, the vulnerable. Beyond that, those who have real practical needs, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, the refugee, the single parent, those who are out of work, whoever it might be. Help us, we pray, this morning. Give us a similar heart. Help us to love others, wherever they might be. But especially in our church family and in our physical families, would you help us? Would you help us to put our faith into practice, we pray. We pray that as a church family here, Lord, we would love one another. Not just in words, but in deeds also. Help us to open our homes and our lives to each other, to love and care for one another, we pray. But once, uh, as we're about to sing, once we were strangers chasing selfish dreams, but now through Jesus we we are one, we love you, we love one another. And we thank you that we come together and we can help and love and serve each other as well as you. So bless us, challenge us, change us, we pray.
for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.